Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that MS is about to be imminently hackable. And that's because University of Wisconsin researchers just noticed that UV blocking sunscreens, specifically those containing something called salicylic acid esters, this would be something related to aspirin, led to a reduction or elimination of MS symptoms in mice. So isn't it kind of interesting that this combination of UV light on the sunscreen itself creates effects related to light triggered formation of these compounds in your cells? So even if we don't know right away that this is going to solve MS, the fact that we're understanding the interaction of light and compounds in our cells as a huge variable for MS, even in a mouse model, it's telling us it's the food we eat, it's the light in our environment, and it's all these other things that come together to cause neurodegeneration. And the flip side of MS, and the reason you read so much about MS in in Headstrong, is that when we look at Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, and other diseases of the nervous system, When you do the opposite of those things to make the nervous system stronger, to support the insulation around your nerves, which comes from food, which comes from lifestyle, which comes from light, those things are really powerful. So seeing research like this come out where the mainstream is now looking at the effect of light on our cells, on our brains, that makes me happy and gives me great hope. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's guest on the show is, is particularly cool. And today's episode is recorded all over Bulletproof Labs. So you might hear the sound change a little bit. That's because we're making some Bulletproof coffee. And the reason here is that I've got Eric Edmeads from WildFit and Gordy Ball from CTR with us. And Eric is one of the true pioneers of food and health revolution that we're in the middle of. When he started WildFit, he got really passionate about helping people achieve and experience outstanding health and started looking at evolutionary biology and what we used to eat thousands and even millions of years ago. He got started because in 1991, he had a really dramatic health turning point And like me, went through years of research. He studied health, biology, human history, and came up with a a system that encourages you to think about what you eat before you eat it, and even what you do before you think about what you're going to eat, and then what to eat, which which is really cool. So we have fascinating conversations about all kinds of stuff like that. And also here with us today is Gordy Bell, who describes himself as an alchemist, a visionary, a social entrepreneur, an investor, a philanthropist and founder of Conscious Thought Revolution. So you hear Gordy throughout the episode as well when we talk about some things, particularly around raising conscious kids and things like that. So welcome to today's episode. It's fascinating, it's fun, 
And it was really cool to be able to record this live here at Bulletproof Labs on Vancouver Island. So tune into the show, listen to the whole thing. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to hear from Eric and Gordy. Welcome guys. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Thanks Dave. So this is the epitome of a conscious thought revolution. Eric and me, he's on the drive all the way up here. I'm like, Eric, you gotta have some bulletproof coffee. He's like, no chance in hell. It's been 20 years I haven't had coffee. I didn't say no chance in hell, I just said no. Okay, close enough. (laughs) It's drama. So it looks like we're going to actually have him try some bulletproof coffee. Let's just for background sake. I um, I am uh, caffeine doesn't really react well for me, and uh, but I also recognize that it, you know it, it does have a purpose in the in the life hack kind of world, in the biohack kind of world. And but the really cool thing about this is we're on Vancouver Island. The very last bit of caffeine that I ever had with intent, I'm sure it snuck into my life here and there. But the last time I ever had a coffee or a Coke or anything like that was right here on Vancouver Island in 1987 or 1988. Wow! So here we are back again, full circle. Well, A, I'm honored that you even wanted to try it. And there's a couple things going on. One is you're almost certainly a poor caffeine metabolizer. It's a genetic mutation. Some I, I don't know we're going to insult each other. I mean, it, I didn't say it was a bad mutation, but it's just one that makes you weaker than the rest of us. <laughs> so I see where this is going. No, what, what that means, though, is that for you, a moderate amount of coffee is the most you'd want to do. And if you say that for two days last time you had a Red Bull, it's because your body's like, I can't get rid of this. My liver doesn't process this very well. So we're going to have a little bit for you. And what caffeine does is it doubles ketone production, just a moderate amount of caffeine. And we're going to put brain octane in. So your body's going to get a burst of ketones and you'll get some of the polyphenols that happen inside coffee. And when you blend Bulletproof coffee, it changes the, the water into something that normally is the water we drink is called bulk water. And then our cells convert the water into biologically active water called exclusions of water. When we blend the Bulletproof coffee, that gets made. So you'll get a bump in ketones from it, but we're not going to give you enough to like put you through the moon or keep you Look, up all night. If I wake up in Bangkok... If I wake up in Bangkok, <laughs> I'm doing a Facebook Live and telling everybody what happened. All right. That's totally fair. You have a Mike Tyson tattoo. It was, <laughs> yeah. And a tiger awesome. in my room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You've been there too. Gordy's there every weekend. So. Every weekend with Mike Tyson. And, and, and it's a homecoming again because I used to be so terrified of public speaking that it would make me want to vomit. I mean, really. Wow. But I had a job here in, in Victoria where I had to speak like, in front of 100 people every single week. And I don't know how I survived that. I have no idea. But it's nice to be able to come back and, and kind of like a little bit of a homecoming. I'll, I'll do some drugs. I'll do a presentation. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to call this caffeine microdosing for you. A little bit. Okay? No. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it medium seriously, right, but I'll take you. your advice. Okay. When after your event, we did a survey and we said, who would you like to bring to Victoria? And the number one response was Tony Robbins. So we didn't bring you Tony Robbins, but we have two Tony Robbins speakers. That's right. We've, we've both been on Tony's stage, we have. which is cool. And you do a yeah. kick-ass impression. Can you do it? Oh, come on now. You have to give me a context. I'll tell you what. Your cryogenics, <laughs> like the, 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 the tank, he, uh, he was speaking. He was telling me about that one day. And he really was like, you got to do it, man. you got to do it. It's so good. You've never done cryotherapy? Never. Oh, never, never. it's going to be two first times for you. It's really, you get this huge endorphin <laughs> rush afterwards. Like, it, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tony has one in his hotel room, which is just amazing. Man, awesome. have you noticed that when you go on stage at his events, they warn me. They go, because I, I show up in shorts yeah. and like, they, he doesn't use the hotel's cooling system he brings air conditioning trucks yeah. so I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he sleeps in the, in the cryo tank <laughs> uh, he, he definitely spent some time in a hyperbaric tank with ice bags because no. that man has so much just raw energy in his body that he throws off heat it's, it's mm. fast you see him on stage and he's just to, to move energy for 15,000 people I, 
I, I until you sit there and see it, even his movie doesn't do it justice. You're like, wow, I, I've never seen yeah. energy in a human. So I, no, I get it. I I do. I have programs where I'm on stage for twelve to fifteen hours a day, yeah. five days in a row, and the best thing I want to do after that is cold water. I don't quite do ice, but it really I sleep so much better when I do. Yeah, it it matters for recovery. So, so let's get you a bulletproof coffee. Let's shot. do it. All right. What I'm going to do here. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention, Bulletproof Coffee Beans are free of mold toxins. These are shown in multiple studies to inhibit mitochondrial function. So this is one of the reasons for me. I, are these the same kind of mold toxins like yeah, peanuts, cashews, that kind of thing? They're, they're similar yeah. or even just environmental mold. And so for me, I lived in a moldy house, which contributed to my obesity. It, it poisoned your mitochondria. Mitochondria bacteria, and we have these ancient bacteria in our body. The ancient enemy of bacteria is mold. That's where antibiotics come from. So different people respond differently, but I cannot drink normal coffee. That's why I created my beans. Cause when I drink it, I'm like, okay, I really don't handle it well. So I'm kind of afraid of coffee, but I love coffee. And that led to the genesis of the, the bulletproof process. So you're getting coffee that hopefully won't cause such a strong reaction for you. We shall see. We shall see. Right. For the record, I'm sensitive too, but with bulletproof, I don't get that. The crash. crash. Yeah. yeah, I don't get the crash this way either. No, it's not even, I don't even get that. What happens for me is if I have, uh, if I have caffeine like, you know, two or three days in a row, then I get headaches like, like that. Yeah. Then I'm on the, then I'm on the caffeine roller coaster. It's, it's the you, ideal marketing. Yeah. You can't, you can't dump it from your system very effectively. So for you, you're like a decaf kind of guy, a little bit of chocolate or something, but not a lot. And, uh, you, know, you don't have to have any. A little bit though might be good. We're, we're going to do it. Just we're going to do shots. Yeah, just like he's a he's a dealer. You hear this? He's a dealer. It's like, come on, just one first one's free. Now you see, I'm back next week. I'm camped out in a tent. Come on, more, Dave. More. What we're going to do here is there's a couple ways of making coffee for you. Uh, I oftentimes do an espresso uh, at lunchtime, but I'm going to do a brew code system for you. This, every aspect of brewing the coffee is digitally controlled and designed by one of the top coffee experts in the world uh, to get the right flavor from the coffee. So I'm going to do it right for you. We'll, Sounds good. we'll select it. Normally I'd ask if you like a lighter or a darker roast, but you probably have no idea. So I'm going to pick a medium roast, which is my favorite, called the Mentalist here. All right. And I'm going to weigh out the right amount for the coffee equipment we've got. So now the birthplace of coffee is one of your favorite places, Africa. Yes. And I consider coffee to be you know, one of Mother Nature's original smart drugs. And it's totally different to say I drink coffee than I have caffeine. Like I don't use caffeine pills mm. and you know, adding caffeine uh, to you know, a whole bunch of beverages exogenously. It's different. It's, it's not a whole plant compound. There's thousands of things in coffee, including polyphenols, that affect us. We require polyphenols to process light and food in our environment. So I'm gonna grind this up for you. Well, here we go, guys. We got the blender. We got the the, the drugs are out. <laughs> and. We'll pour this right here where you guys can see it. 24 grams. So I use the drug scale? <laughs> uh, but, but I'm actually honored that you're going to give it a try. I'm, I'm willing. You know, and I'll tell you a big part of why is that um, there's a couple of reasons. One is I'm very much aware that that some of the things that um, that we regard as bad are bad because of the way they're produced or because yeah. of the way they're used. 
uh, you know, I think, you know, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, nicotine, like, we, uh, we, we, we uh, um, you know, turn it into this villain substance when it's, when maybe there are purposes behind it outside of, you know, sucking it in with a bunch of other carcinogenic. Yeah. Burning products. stuff and breathing it, pot or tobacco, it's just bad for you. And tobacco itself, when it's fermented, usually makes mold toxins. It contains uranium that attracts, like, tobacco is not a very healthy plant for us. And when you use the nicotine from tobacco, there's a group of people called the tobaconeros, and it's a form of shamanism mm -hmm. like an ayahuasca guy, but they use doses of caffeine, or sorry, not caffeine, doses of nicotine that would kill. I may know people. somebody who did an ayahuasca experience and had nicotine with that. I may know somebody rather yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> and it, if it, you want to purge, man, drinking nicotine tea or, or tobacco tea is a horrifying experience from what I've heard. I've actually never tried it. I'm not planning on it. But I, I've sort of written a, a big article about, look, here's what nicotine does to tell your body to express mitochondria like you've been exercising. But I never have smoked. I smoked half a cigar once in my mid-20s and felt crappy from it and coughed for two days. But did you but, inhale? <laughs> well, he was there with Bill Clinton, of course. He did. Oh, God. I really like the cigar. <laughs> you know, I had a similar experience when I was a, when I was a kid about, I guess I want to say about 15 or 16, I desperately wanted to learn how to blow smoke rings. And yeah. so I smoked about half a pack of cigarettes oh, God. Of <laughs> and I felt so horrible and so sick that I was never tempted to smoke again. A lot of parents used to do that with, with kids like, oh, you want to smoke here? Just keep smoking, keep smoking. And then you get that, that programming that says, if you do that again, you're going to want to die. And that works really well with smoking and it works really well with, um, with alcohol. It does not work so well with weed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. I just want to eat more pizza. <laughs> so, so now I got to ask you this. If you don't handle caffeine well, how does pot affect it? Assuming you try. Assuming theoretically. Yeah. No, I no. Uh, you know what? I, I found something really interesting. So I quit alcohol when I was uh, 21. I living here in BC. I had my. I, I got. I, I drank too much one night. I got sick, and I made that deal with God. You know the one. Yeah, yeah. If only I could feel better, I'll never drink again. And then I didn't. Right. And at the same time, I also stopped using pot at, at that at that stage. But you know, growing up in BC, there was always that alcoholic pot question. Yeah. And I found that alcohol made me do stuff I regretted and made me feel like crap the next day. And mm -hmm. pot simply made music sound good and made food <laughs> taste great, made sex fabulous, and I felt good the next day. Right. And the only distinction that I found was years later trying it again without all the angst of being a teenager was way different. Yeah. And, and so I just had a, a rule in my life at that stage that just said, I only do this when I'm in the highest vibration place. I only do this mm -hmm. when everything is right. Because as a kid, that, that paranoia and angst that people talk about, it came out of their thing being things wrong. Yeah. But I don't feel any, any, I've never felt anything negative from it, except you know, the odd times a kid going way too far. <laughs> and it's funny because we all have different neurochemistry. And, and for you, it's pretty clear that having a lot of, uh, having a lot of caffeine for you is not gonna work. For me, pot is just, yeah, I have lots of friends, it really does good things for the brain. So there's endocannabinoid or cannabinoid receptors in the body. But man, that is just not something that works for me. And so I've, I've tried it enough times to go, this isn't, this isn't what works for my neurochemistry. And understanding that different people have food variations. You may love bell peppers. For me, I have joint pain for a week if I eat one bite of bell pepper. And they could be really good for you and bad for me. And it's mitochondrial. I wonder about that. Because, thing. you know, yeah. do you know Steve Gundry? Yeah, he's a friend. He's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I met him years ago, funny enough, through Tony. And I, and, and I had written an article 
years ago about um, uh, plant defenses. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, it, you might know, uh, you've probably read uh, Climbing Mountain Probable. Mm -hmm. So after reading that book, I was like, wow, I, I love the metaphor of the improbable heights of evolution, you know, the eye, the, the body, whatever. But what struck me is, and I wrote a, an article about this way back then called The Twin Peaks of Improbability, and it was that these things only happen at least in pair. Right. You don't end up with the fastest antelope without the fastest cheetah. Right. It just doesn't happen. And so I think that the reason that you have that issue with bell peppers is that humans have that issue with bell peppers. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm not saying it, it, that it's that harsh with all humans, but I do think that there are some plants that we have not evolved the capacity to process properly. Or maybe, and I'd put bell peppers in that category. And it's possible that there are some people in some parts of the world who've eaten them for enough uh, enough generations that the people who got autoimmune inflammation from them died out. Yeah. <laughs> so they tolerate them better. Uh, but for me, understanding what plants don't want to eat their babies, they can't run away, so they use poisons and barbs and spines. And everything wants to eat plants, bugs, animals, other bacteria, plants. fungus, even <laughs> caffeine and, and all the colored plant strong compounds in, in coffee and tea and all that, it's there to keep bugs from eating it, right? Yeah. So you've got to understand your mitochondrial biology and just accept the fact that someone next to you might absolutely love potatoes. And it's, it's good for them. But for you, they're, they're ruinous. And it's weird, even in my family, my son's like me, one bite of potato, which is a nightshade related to bell peppers, both of us get upper back pain, you want a massage and a chiropractor for a week, and it really sucks. I had this pain my whole life because I didn't know. My daughter has slightly different genes. She can tolerate potatoes, and she likes them, and no pain whatsoever. It's so individual. You've got to test these things. I, I, I'm with, here's, here's my thought on this, though. It just, it just when we look at um, butter. That's it? Grass-fed butter. Well, I, we're going to show this three ways. You want a little bit more? Can you do yeah, more? absolutely. All right. Make it extra creamy for you. <laughs> the, uh, when we look at um, uh, time frames, one of the problems is a lot of times people, a lot of times people are measuring whether something is good or bad for them based on the immediate response. You know, like lactose intolerance or, or something like that, or or gluten intolerance. And, and I I guess my view is that some of that testing is only about the immediacy, and it, and it's a little like killing the canary in the coal mine. And the coal mine, it's like I'm going to take out the gluten and make this not hurt me anymore. That's not gonna make it good for me. There you go. And like the, we are terrible event correlation machines. We're great at like if you you smack yourself in the face, it hurts immediately. <laughs> but if someone smacked in the face and a week later it hurt, like my face hurts. I wonder why. Even though you might eventually draw those connections, my degree is in decision support systems, which is a subset of artificial intelligence. And my whole career in Silicon Valley was built around event correlation and complex systems. And I when I realized that. Gluten on Friday night caused massive cravings on Monday, but not on Sunday or Saturday. That was a huge wake-up call for me. So you like you don't do it because you don't like how you're going to feel later. Yeah, yeah. You've tapped into a big part of what Wild Fit's about. It's about uh, we have this thing called the food timeline, and it runs from love it. before you made the decision to eat it to three days later. I love it that you're thinking before you decide. I would submit that Bulletproof Coffee is basically a preconditioning thing. If you do this in the morning, or at least brain octane oil, even without the Bulletproof, uh, that you're changing some of those hunger hormones so that when you make a decision to eat something later, at least your body isn't feeling like you're going to die if you don't eat it. And it might make the decision easier. All right, so we've I do, this I do know that some of our WildFit clients have been known to sneak this stuff into their WildFit smoothies. I'm aware of that, and, 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 and we eventually approve that behavior. Nice. Well, even, uh, even Tony Robbins has talked about how uh, 
um, and I'm I'm saying this, he's he's been public about it, uh, where he says you know Brain Octane is is his favorite, and when when I go there, like so many of his crew and cast and, and people are are using Bulletproof uh, or they're using Brain Octane or some combination of the above because it really like they like how they feel. Right? You, you want to make that energy. So which of these has the least amount in it? Looks this like one? this one. Yeah. All right, so we're, we're gonna have a you know this is a third of so a cup of coffee for you. Ready? Right, this, is a, this is an epic historic moment. All right. Okay. <laughs> if my father's watching, this is a major problem. This this would be like I'm having a slip in AA terms. Oh no. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have an intentional slip here with this here third of a cup of. <laughs> don't I don't want to talk about it. It's grass fed butter. It's butter. Right. And so here we go. Are you ready? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cody. Mmm. Wow. I still don't like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just get taller? <laughs> Did you get smaller? <laughs> um, I, I want to acknowledge both of you guys for obviously you making the time today and you coming up with me and really this yeah, is my exploration. Really and, and I'm honored that you're going to try it. I understand what a big deal it is. It is, it is a big deal and, and, and you created an environment where I'm, I, there's a high degree of trust and so I'm, I'm in. We're going we're gonna, to, like I said, if we wake up from Bangkok, we're going to have a problem. Little does he know what's really in it. Yeah, this is going to be like the, uh, you know, you know how the Beatles first did acid? Oh. They were apparently, as I heard the story, they were at their dentist's house for a dinner party and he put acid in their tea. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that would at not... least I know what I'm doing-ish. Yeah, that would not be okay. I, I've never intentionally drugged anyone's bulletproof coffee. I might have drizzled some brain octane on, on some food. Yeah, that's people eat it salad dressing. Like, why is this so good? There's a reason. <laughs> cool. But that, that message uh, for people who are, are doing wild fit, uh, that like you don't have to drink coffee. Uh, I, I think there's a good argument for it if it works for you. But if it doesn't work for you, there's lots of people who are like, I, I can't even drink bulletproof beans. And that's cool, right? Um, but if you do get some brain octane in there, it, it is a very unusual kind of fat. It isn't found in nature by itself. It's 5% of coconut oil. But when you take it like this, it has different biological effects. So I mean, you you'll, you've done your own research, and if it's, a, if it's approved on your program, it's approved. Uh, and I, I appreciate that. But I I feel good about it, and I I don't know anyone who who does poorly on a small amount of it. I'm really clear. Like as if we were talking earlier, I, I I think that very often there there are a number of flaws in the diet space, and one of the flaws is. Uh, authors um, regurgitating stuff and getting so trapped into being right about stuff. And I, I've never wanted to fall into that trap. And as I said before, it's something I've always admired about your approach to stuff. I've always admired that about um, about Tim Ferriss's approach. It's like, I no, I'm not going to just take what I'm told. I'm going to experiment and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research and, and so on. But it hurts to do what you're told. When I weigh 300 pounds, it's like, no, I am eating 1,800 uh, to 2000 calories. I am working out every day and I'm not, you know, sneaking a Snickers bar every five minutes and I'm not losing weight. And my doctor's like, no, you're sneaking a Snickers bar. And you're like, how about this? You're fired right? because it doesn't work. And, yeah. and, and I, but to spend 18 months exhausting yourself, working out six days a week to do that at a certain point, you're like, wait, I'm just not going to trust because of, of this kind of behavior. And I don't think it's mostly people making a conscious decision to do that. It's one thing if you're Monsanto or something. But it's another thing if you're trapped in the, the cognitive loop there where you sort of have to be right. And then you make a whole bunch of micro decisions that emerge in you know, people being told to do things that don't work. Uh, even yeah. though the intent was good, the outcomes weren't measurable as working. Now, have you seen that Canadian guy that was being interviewed by Canal on TV about, about gly gly glyphosate? Gly 
Glyphosate. I don't even want to learn how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was being interviewed about it, and and he he's actually being interviewed about golden rice, GMO, and whatnot. Right, right. And that, and he's he's not a he's not a lobbyist, but he's a shill. And and so in the in the interview, the French guy says, um, you know, what about the uh, you know these uh, cases of cancer in Argentina from glyphosate? And he says, uh, I don't believe that it causes cancer. In fact, this stuff's perfectly safe. And the guy's like, Well, would you like to drink a glass of it? We have some here. And he goes, Yeah, perfect. Sure, I will. I mean, not really. I'm, this is all on camera. It's, it, I'm, I'll send it to you. I'm going to send it to you by email. It is hilarious. I, I edited it to add in, you know, just so you, I put in replay so you could hear him say it. He goes, he goes, well, why won't you drink some? And he goes, well, I'm not an idiot. Okay. He's just said that it's perfectly safe, but he's not going to drink it because he's not an idiot. And then he, oh, and then you'll love this. Mm-hmm. He goes, he goes, oh yeah, people down there try to commit suicide with it fairly often. And, they, and people try, people down there drink it to try to commit suicide and they fail fairly often. That's his benchmark for it's fairly wow, safe. Wow, fairly often. It, <laughs> I actually believe that the people who make herbicides and pesticides should be required to paint it on their skin before they can sell it. I like it. And they should have to do it every night for, I don't know, a couple months. Hey, people who work in the tobacco industry smoke like fiends. I think it's a good rule. Uh, it, it is a good rule. And I, I actually don't say that lightly because you spray that stuff on the bugs, the mice, the soil. We're killing the soil. And the soil is a living yeah. organism. Yeah. And if you kill the soil, you can't be a vegan or an animal eater because there's nothing left Definitely. to eat. And it's it's okay for the short term. And this is what happens if you go to like a, a glyphosate sprayed uh, uh, cornfield that's been in production for a while, the top 12 inches is basically like just, just dead soil and, and there's nothing growing in it anymore. And it's a support system for the roots and they just pour water and nutrients on top, but that doesn't regenerate and mm. it doesn't go back. And it is incredibly dangerous for our food security. You know, you, you just can't do it. And then you get the fact that this glyphosate, when it enters our body, it affects the lining of the gut, it affects mitochondrial function, and worst of all, your bones, your skin, all of your, fas- your facial planes, your connective tissues are made of collagen. Collagen is made of glycine, the amino acid. Glyphosate is called gly because it has the glycine in it. It goes into the collagen connective tissue and it replaces glycine with a toxin. And then it inhibits the ability of electrons to flow in those tissues. So you and don't want to drink a glass. You don't want to even touch it to your skin or breathe <laughs> that crap. But man, I, th- those guys really drive me nuts. You yeah. cannot effectively make an argument because now we know mechanism of action. <laughs> we know environmental problems. And they're selling it now to spray on crops to make them ripen more quickly, knowing it'll be there when we eat it. And that's yeah, evil. Now, I'm curious because, yeah. you know, I, if I... In the strictest terms, if anybody said what was the difference between Wild Fit and Bulletproof, I would say that we're really purist about evolutionary biology getting as close to nature as we can. And you're saying, hey, there's existing imbalances and we're going to use imbalance to try to rebalance. It's yeah. not a big difference, really. But talk to me. What, what, how do you feel about GMO? You know, I am categorically opposed to spraying glyphosate on stuff. I also am really, frankly, scared of GMOs because we're unleashing things into the environment that self-replicate and we do not understand the complex systems of our environment and you can't unrelease that stuff. It's frighteningly dangerous. However, there there may be a time where it's the appropriate response to the damage we've done. So GMO, genetically modifying things in and of itself is not evil. Making a self-replicating thing like that is a problem. Yeah. There's something called plasmid level mutation. Do you know what plasmids? Mm-hmm. So when you're dealing with bacteria or even with plants, 
you have uh, individual gene mutations and you have plasmids, which are basically clusters of genes that have, we'll call them superpowers. And when bacteria, even from different species meet, they're like, hey, you think of them as X-Men, right? So like, I've got Wolverine powers and the guy's like, I can breathe fire. You guys want to swap? So then they, tr it's like ball cars, they swap. And now this guy has Wolverine powers and fire breathing. And so does this guy. And one thing that glyphosate has done is it has caused soil fungus that naturally made toxins that poison us. These are like aspergillus, things that make ochratoxin A and aflatoxin, things like that. And they make between 100 and 500 times more toxin because they've been able to exchange these plasmids with genetically modified organisms. And because when you spray glyphosate on crops, it irritates these bacteria. Irritated bacteria and irritated fungus make more toxins. Yeah. So we've radically changed what's going on in the, in the microscopic environment because of genetically modified stuff. It's half the poisons and it's half the fact that these things can trade this. So we're finding yeah, my, bad stuff happening. It's I'm not with you. good. It's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm very against them. And I understand some of the global reasons for, for wanting to do research in that space. But my, my simple observation is really like, you know, when you take a look at what um, prickly pear cactuses are doing to the, to the Cougar National Park or what cane toads did to Australia, you know, invasive species do only one of two things. They die because, the environment, because they can't survive in the environment or they take over the environment. And, oh, yeah. and so every time we go out and build something that is self-replicating, that has no natural predation and has no natural biological controls around it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist it doesn't. to tell you what's going to And I can't understand why that isn't more, you know, people are all focused on, oh, it might hurt us in our digestive system. That may all be true. But the bigger issue to me is one day somebody's going to create some organism that's, that's going to, you know, wipe out the fungus that sits on the roots of the trees in the black forest. And without that fungus, those trees die. Yep. And, and that's how precarious the balance of nature is. So that's, I was, I was, I'm, I'm, I was interested in your thoughts on that. That's interesting. I just posted on Facebook about this maybe last month. There's some evil, like mad scientists, like, oh, we're trying to stop this invasive bug. So we, we found there's a fungus that only grows on this bug. And the fungus wasn't quite poisonous enough. So we added blue scorpion venom and like coral snake venom producing genes, like really bad neurotoxic stuff. Now they can kill the, the bugs really effectively. So we're going to go do some field trials and release this fungus that has like the worst X-Men powers ever. And gee, I wonder if those... That's it. We got to make a TV series. Have you seen Black Mirror? Yeah, of course. We've got to make a version of Black Mirror that's all about the the, the amazing things that could come out the, of GMO. It's like, that would be a phenomenal they're series. Actually, doing this. Yes. Like, what world can that be okay? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm just hoping that they drop one of the scorpions in their shoe, and then nature <laughs> nature takes care of business the way it always has. Yeah. So, can I ask a quick question about the coffee? Yeah. Um, so when I was in Costa Rica, they feed their kids coffee. Um, would you recommend that? What's your perspective on coffee for kids? There was a company in the 1950s that made a burned grain beverage, which is particularly noxious and bad for you. And they did a big PR campaign that said, coffee stunts your kids' growth. Oh I'll tell you, if coffee is full of mold, which much of it is, it's not good for your kids. Kids metabolize caffeine twice as fast as adults. So my kids get one ounce of bulletproof coffee, a tiny little espresso cup. And they get it because when they have brain octane in the morning, mm. they pay attention and they play and they don't poke each other in the eye nearly as much. Like they're actually calmer and more focused. The caffeine is negligible at those levels, but the fats are precious. Mm. And if you can increase the polyphenols that you take in, and you get these from evolutionary diets, right? Like even if you go back in, in history, 
many of the the international borders that are still in place today, like between uh, Tibet, China, Burma, all that area, these were spice trading routes. The first people who would climb over the mountains and risk their lives were trading salt because you die without salt. And animals in Africa will travel a thousand miles to go to the salt caves to get salt. We need salt. It's important for our stress response. The next thing they would do was tea and spices. And I'd ask my teachers, like in seventh grade, why would people pay so much for spices back then? And she said, well, they didn't have refrigerators. The meat would spoil to make it taste good. They need spices. Like, seriously? No, no, no. What's going on here is spices are required because they're the highest polyphenol things we have. So if you're living in a part of the world without enough colored compounds in your vegetables, you must have oregano, turmeric, thyme, Mm. ginseng, whatever the local stuff is that's brightly colored and very strong, bitter flavors. This is what where spices come from. They're not flavor enhancers. They're nice with flavor enhancers. They are direct nature molecules that modify how our mitochondria work. And might we not argue that, I mean, we... If we had ancestors several generations ago, they did not enjoy those flavors and therefore did not sample those things. They were missing stuff. And not only that, their children would be weak and they'd be eaten by tigers. Yeah. I'm like, that's what happens. Uh, not that we have tigers here. We have cougars. Uh, they're mostly living in Vancouver. They're dating the younger men. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's true. Cougars gotta, were invented Gotta have in a little cheesy humor here every now and again. You know cougars were invented in Vancouver. The word comes from Vancouver. Oh, really? Does it? I thought it came from Bungalow 44 in Marin County. <laughs> uh, could easily be. There's a place on Sand Hill Road, Thursday nights, uh, the Redwood, Redwood, or Rosewood Hotel, anyway. Uh, I'm sure it's evolved. Yeah. But the, uh, the interesting thing here is that coffee is the largest source of polyphenols in the American diet. And it turns out a diversity of polyphenols is important and a large volume. So when I wrote Headstrong, I'm like, I'm not getting enough. I'm doubling my daily polyphenol count. So you saw my so garden. So what would be, pre-coffee, what would be, what would, like, where would, say, the Kung or the Hadza be getting polyphenols from in a normal world? In a normal world, when they go out, they're they're choosing plants all the time, and they're eating plants that are wild. And if you eat and wild a massive plants, variety of plants, yes. 200 species a year. There you go. And there, yeah. there's a lot of strongly flavored, bitter, yeah. uh, pungent. Those are extremely full of polyphenols. And now we eat these domesticated things, even like fruit that you get at the store, even organic fruit, it lives a pretty cushy life. Polyphenols come from stress. And it is GMO. I mean, people don't realize that GMO comes in three varieties. It comes in natural selection, it comes in breeding, and it comes in in the lab. And that breeding one is pretty powerful. I mean, how big was a a carrot when your your granddad was eating carrots? That big. You know, we've, we've done a lot to change that. We have, and so you can you can even if these some of these you know vertical indoor LED lit farms, they're not getting the right light environment to make polyphenols. They're also not getting the full set of nutrients, and they're not interacting with the environment, which triggers the formation of these compounds. So the carrot looks good; it's organic, it's unsprayed. But if you get a measure of the biologically active molecules in there, it's much lower. Mm-hmm. So it can look good, it can be organic, but it isn't full of those things that that these native peoples are getting because everything around them is dealing with pressures of the natural environment. It's one reason that having monocrops and eliminating uh, the prairie, for instance, is really bad for the things that we eat because the natural things, the insects that come in and pollinate and and maybe put stress on the plant but don't kill it, they can cause the plants to make much more of these compounds we need. Yeah, and then you end up with this, you know, anthropologically, you end up in this situation where there's this really neat measure in anthropology called calories per acre. And so, you know, the Bushmen live in a almost no calories per acre. And then people who live in Anaheim, California live in billions of calories per acre. And thanks to Uber Eats, it's not even like 
but that 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 issue when they start moving to that monocrops, their calories per acre count goes up like crazy, but their nutrients per acre, yeah, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, and we have this weird equation, this Andy aggregate nutrient density index, which says, well, calories are bad, which is not true. Calories are where energy like comes slightly from. necessary. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you die without them, uh, but. And also water is invisible and fiber is invisible in this weird thing. So if you believe in that sort of thing, you eat the foods that have the most nutrients, but you ignore the foods with the most toxins. So you can have a bowl of cyanide with a multivitamin on top of it. It has a very high aggregate nutrient index and you drink it and you die. It's a flawed way of thinking yeah. because we need the right calories to burn, to make energy. And if our furnaces, our mitochondria don't work well, we don't get what we need. We eat natively. We eat the way that, that people eat in their local environment where they're getting not just calories but they're getting nutrients yeah it's those nutrients that turn on the furnace that allows to use the calories effectively you know this comes full circle to the question that we've been talking with you about about you know you want to have this big impact on on consciousness and 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 then you know let's go to the be the change you want to see in the world right mm -hmm. and that means working on our own consciousness and one of the things that we've found and i'm sure you've seen something similar if not exactly the same is that once you get people's nutrient load up 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 they uniformly report increased sense of well-being. Mm -hmm. We kept seeing this in our feedback forms, like what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. So we started surveying and asking people. And it, the strangest thing is when they have a very wide variety of, of nutrients, plant, animal, whatever the case, but the, the, the evolutionarily required stuff, when they're getting their needs met, they feel better. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know how else to measure health and they feel better. And that's, that's, and then of course, as we talked about, they feel better and they make better decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Just choices. And, and part of feeling better is look, you make energy better. And this isn't well understood, uh, even in, in the doctor's office, but these plant compounds that we're talking about, that, that you get an abundant variety of if you're living in Africa or you know, anywhere where you're, you're getting what grows around you, they are light signaling molecules. These quadrillion mitochondria in the body talk to each other with photons while you're sleeping in a cave at night. They're supposed to do that. But if you don't have the light modulating polyphenols from a variety of plants and vegetables, they don't do that very well. And then your sense of well-being goes down because the control system for the furnace, the battery in your body, it gets dysregulated. Mm. And that's why this nutrient density is so important. I doubled my daily polyphenol intake after I did all that research when I was writing Headstrong. So I eat even more plants than I did, but the biggest change I made is I put stupid amounts of spices on there. Like if you walk through the garden out here, lots of spices. I mean, I, I grow, I'm not just saying so I actually grow all my own food. When I, uh, when I'm home, we eat stuff that grows in our garden. I might buy celery in winter or something, but it's, my freezer is full of the stuff we get during the summer. And we pick just like buckets of spices. And I mean, there's pictures of me on Instagram with like huge handfuls of, of thyme and rosemary and oregano. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually going to eat this for dinner. Like that's part of the meal. And every time I add more herbs and spices to the food, the better I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned to you, when we first came in, I saw your garden and I was just like, it was just like, uh, you know, kismet, like where we, we've just now selected the piece of land to build and do that ourselves. Cause awesome. I'm, I just, you know, when I'm at home, I, I get when I'm on the road, I'm going to have to make compromises. It is what it is. But when I'm at home, I want the food coming out of my garden, my soil. Well, you know, mm -hmm. I, I know, as you said, you know who picked it and it was probably your kids. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't get any more luxurious than that. And people listening may be like, well, how am I ever going to afford this? Bottom line is, when this becomes the norm, this is this was the norm for all of history, and it only recently didn't become the norm. Yeah. So it will become the sort of thing where you get food that grows locally because it's the only scalable, sustainable way to support the population we have now. 
the industrial farming thing, it's on its last legs. It simply doesn't work. One of the we, we have these, I think, 12 principles of wild fit, and, and, I, and I think I'll I, I send them over to you one day. I, I'd love I'd to love your feedback. One of the principles is that just about every, um, every psychological and physiological challenge that any individual human faces today is resulting as a result of the gap between our evolved physiology and our, our evolved uh, uh, psychology and the pace of change in society. Just about everything we suffer with is because we have a different physiology and a different psychology than the way we're living. And so this, this, this blip, this very short-term meme, if you think about it in terms of our evolution, this factory farming thing, it's going to be here and it's going to go. And, and, and assuming our species doesn't, you know, we'll talk about the planet another day. <laughs> but if we have another 500 years here, we're going to look back at that blip and it's going to be a blip. And they're going to see this graph. Factory farming went up like this and death and disease went up like this. Oh, and then factory farming ended. And then, it, you know, it's going to be a blip. Yeah. And factory farming probably ended when the population crashed. And a, a lot of people are worried about this global population boom. How are we going to support these people? Don't worry. It's just a multi-generational problem. The fertility rate every 10 years is dropping and dropping and dropping. So the way we're continuing, most people won't be able to have kids. <laughs> That'll solve it, that problem very, very quickly. That's one of our coolest things. We now have this thing called wild fit babies. Nice. I'm sure you have nice. many cases once you've turned people around. Oh, yeah. Fertility. We, it, it, we've just had so many of these people writing. Like this most recent one was just about a week ago. This woman wrote to us and she goes, look, I've lost all this weight and I'm feeling fantastic, but I'm about to have my sixth child with my ex-husband. <laughs> 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 so uh, my my wife uses these principles in her fertility coaching practice, and and uh, I kind of like to say she's got more people pregnant than I have. Right? But, <laughs> that, that's what happens when you you turn on the biology, you start getting your circadian rhythms right, you start eating more nutrients and getting rid of the crap. Fertility comes back online. Our, our very first wild fit baby was an Estonian guy, mm -hmm. and he uh, he'd done our program, and his before after pictures they looked like father and son in, in ninety days, like wow. fa fabulous. And then um, I saw him speaking at an event, and he's, he's got a thick Estonian accent. And Estonians don't have pronouns, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have he and she. So he's on stage, and he goes, me and wife, try get pregnant, five years, no babies. Two children, five years, no babies. Then, wild fit. Now, wife call me. She tell me, he pregnant. <laughs> and, and he say, he say, Eric's fault. <laughs> and he go, I check Eric's event schedule, not in Estonia, not Eric's fault. <laughs> so yeah, those are cute. Those are fun stories. I like it, that. It feels good, too. It does. And, and one thing that happens when parents do this before, both parents, not just the mom, before conception and during pregnancy, that's when you have the most leverage. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, these mitochondria in the body, I like to say there's 15,000 of them in your brain cells and in your eyes and your heart and the rest of your body is about a thousand. But in women, there's a hundred thousand mitochondria in the ovaries in, per cell. And that's because mitochondria are environmental sensors. So something is deciding which of those millions of eggs or billions, however many are in there, which one is going to drop. And the one that's going to drop during this fertility cycle is the one that is most likely to survive and thrive for the environment the mom's been in for the last three yeah, months. That's absolutely. why the sensor network is there. And that means that if you get the environment right, you, you tell the body, it'll select the right egg and then the man will make the right sperm. It only takes about three days to do that. We can be a little bit lazy, but you need to take care of yourself for the two months before that so the yeah. sperm has enough mitochondria. My to wife let me have hot tubs. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> and then you end up having a baby that is optimized from the environment in which you live and a baby that is going to be able to express whatever possibilities happen. And this is where it starts. And you, you have so much leverage the first year of life and your leverage decreases with each year of life until you're you know, 90 years old. And I run an anti-aging nonprofit group, have for almost 20 years. It's really hard to take a 90 year old and make him 60 again, but you can do it. 
But if they just did stuff when they were two years old or that their mom did or when they were 16, they wouldn't have had to do that because it would look like they were 16 or 19. We first have, place. it is absolutely routine. We issue, there are a number of disclaimers we issue when people come into the WildFit Challenge. One of them is that if they're on blood pressure lowering medication, they must see a doctor after a month yeah. because they're, they, they'll get, they might pass out, yep. you know, and but the other one that we have to warn women, if they're within 24 months of menstruation stopping into, into, um, into that menopausal zone, we have to tell them upfront, it, it is entirely likely the menstruation is going to restart mm-hmm. and, and, and it, it, we, they're just younger. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's funny because what ends up is they, 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 they write these long letters of thank you. Like, oh my God, it's, I'm, I feel younger. I feel more alive, but I hate Eric cause I didn't want to have to deal with this anymore. Right. Right. Although it, when they go through perimenopause, they'll really like that they did that yeah. because you can go through a really rough perimenopause. And if you get your biology healthy before that perimenopause will be a lot less suffering. Yeah. So. That's very cool. Well, I have one really important yeah. question. Super important question. Okay. Do you kiteboard yet? You know, with a screw in my right knee and no not, ACL, not, not so I, likely. I'd like to try it, but I think if I do it regularly, the odds of me having another screw in my knee might go up. It's yeah. We'll talk another All time. Right. It's not super it. intensive okay. on your knees um, do unless you get into jumping, which you just shouldn't do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, but I would love to do that. Right. I'm going to be spending about six weeks in Hawaii coming up here. The very darkest part of winter here in Canada. I just think it's bad for you. So I'm getting out of here this winter. Well, one winter, come down. By then, we'll have our farm up and running. You can have kiteboard. Okay. We live we live on Kite Beach. Oh, that's you know, So you can't argue with that. Okay. All right. So we'll make that happen. I'm up for it. All right. Okay. Cheers. You feeling good on the coffee? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm not buying a ticket to Thailand. Not yet. Good deal. We've already got it on, on, on hold for you. <laughs> wow, what an amazing day. You had your very first Bulletproof coffee. You went into the cryo <laughs> chamber. And I just want to thank both of you on helping me on this exploration. And I just have one last question for each of you. What does a conscious thought revolution mean to you? You want to go first? Go for it. A revolution, by definition, means something that's, that's disruptive. It, it means it's different and it's a, it, it's a radical step up. And we can think about all sorts of stuff. But when you have conscious thought, what you're doing is you're actually thinking about what matters rather than just thinking for the sake of thinking or thinking of telling yourself a story. So when you have conscious thinking, you're actually learning to not pay attention to the story you told yourself, but mm-hmm. to pay attention to the real story as the world exists outside of your own ego. Cool. Thanks. I like it. I like it. I, I think that um, we're, it's not so much that we need a conscious thought revolution right now. It's that there's been one going on for probably 2 million years. And, you know, two million years ago, there was very little conscious thought and then slowly a little conscious thought developed and then slowly a little bit more. And then maybe some point in time in the sixties, it started going the other direction and uh, maybe, maybe even earlier than that. So for me, what it really is, is, is exactly that. It's that one by one, you know, that whole be the change you want to see in the world. One by one, we increase our consciousness with which we make decisions about what we do for a living, about the way we respond when we get bad customer service, about the food we put in our mouth. And one by one, we do that. And then virally, we spread that to the people around us. And then it does become a revolution. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And, and Gordy, thanks for all the work you're doing. We talk a lot about kids. You care so much about your family, about kids. And one of the things you can do in a conscious thought revolution it's a lot easier to teach kids to be conscious. Mm. Uh, my kids, it, it drives me nuts, but they won't kill flies because I taught them not to. So they catch the little flies and they let them go outside. Uh, eventually, I did tell them it's okay to kill mosquitoes because they deserve it. Yes. <laughs> I didn't tell them because they deserve it because we can't catch them all. It's self-defense. It is self-defense. But otherwise, like they don't step on spiders because there's no need to do that. Like Spiders are useful. So they'll escort them out of the house. And just little things like that where you teach 
kids to be conscious, mm -hmm. they take it with them as adults. But if you teach them habits and patterns and unthinking behaviors, uh, if you teach them to hate, unconsciously when you say, I hate that, they hear that. Mm -hmm. And I've taught my kids, look, oh, you hate that? I'm so sorry because hate hurts your heart. It doesn't hurt the other person very mm -hmm. much, but it hurts you. So you don't want to do that. Like That's not good for you. So that's how conscious thought revolution really happens. It happens with kids. So I appreciate what you're doing with kids. I am with you 100%. And from a parenting perspective, I, and I, 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 I just, I'm so clear about this. I noticed when I was a kid that my parents could say something. And if I, you know, as a kid, you don't have a lot of meanings yet, right? You, you walk into the rule, you don't, in the world, you don't know what the rules are. And I, I remember one day I was eating an apple and I, I wanted to go to the bathroom. So I was eating the apple and I went to the bathroom, closed the door, put the apple down, did my business, washed my hands, picked up the apple, walked out of the bathroom. My mom saw me come out of the bathroom with an apple and she's like, oh my God, what are you doing? That's dangerous. <laughs> but then she got busy with something and didn't explain to me what dangerous meant. And I, you know, I'm, I'm like, I must have been, you know, eight or something at the time. I don't know. But I'm thinking, well, she knows I'm smart enough to have washed my hands. So it can't be that, right? Mm -hmm. What else could it be? And as a kid, when you don't have any meanings, you don't really understand the world, you will make up meanings. And I, I, I remember one day playing with a straw and I noticed that if you, you know, you block the top of the straw, you can pull the liquid up. And if you let go of the top of the straw, the liquid falls out. And I started thinking, well, maybe that's what she meant by dangerous. <laughs> that if you swallow at the same time that you poop, you just fall out. <laughs> you know, I, I became really nervous about this. I, I would not, I would not chew gum going to the bathroom. I'd go in there. I wouldn't swallow. I was like, I thought if you open both ends, it's all wrong. And, and years later, when I saw the absurdity of this, you, you realize you just like won the internet with that. Like, that, that that's going to have like 10 million people. Talking. That's the funniest story I've ever heard. <laughs> that's what happened. And then, but then as a parent, I now I've looked at that and I thought, wow, there's a lot of things that my parents said that when I look back at those memories now, the meanings I assessed were so incredibly mm -hmm. wrong. And so for me, uh, uh, conscious thought revolution as a parent is to recognize that every interaction I have with my children generates a meaning and the meaning might not be the words I used. The meaning might be that they take those words and they make up some meaning, which for them will become a rule to live by. Just yesterday, I was in San Diego and I'm walking through the mall. I did a Facebook Live about this because it just struck me. There's a little girl with her mom in the lineup and her little girl goes, Mom, Mom, I want one of whatever. I don't even know what it was. And the mom says to her, well, you better marry rich. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh. wow. Like... Holy, think about the meaning. She, uh, I, what, what meanings might she That's create from that? Girls can't make money. M men are the source of money. Whatever the case may be, that little girl's getting programmed. Wow. And so for me, yeah. that year, I'm so glad you brought that up because we, we, the biggest way we create a conscious thought revolution is through raising really conscious kids. Wow. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, so the question that I've asked every guest on the show, except for like episode 70 something when I forgot, was... If someone came to you tomorrow, Eric, and they said, look, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you, what would you offer them? I think the first one would have to be about nutrition, uh, you know, yeah. oxygen, water, food. Um, and, 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 and I mean it like this, like, you know, we are, our system's a machine and, and it needs all the things that it needs to run optimally. So mm -hmm. when somebody's well nourished and well hydrated and well oxygenated, they think better thoughts and then they make better decisions. I, I think another one would be unplug. You know, we, we really need time away from this um, reactive, responsive thought process that we're in all the time. We don't think anymore. You know, we used to, you remember how it used to be. You're waiting for a flight, you're boarding, you'd think. You would think about stuff. And now it's like Facebook, CNN, WhatsApp, Twitter, whatever. And, and so I think that getting some really solid, when I'm at home at the, in the DR, I barely even see my phone. It frustrates the hell out of my team sometimes, but I just don't, it's in airplane mode. It's not on. 
And as, as I mentioned, two years ago, I did six and a half months without one. I, I really strongly recommend that one. And then the other one is uh, community. I, I really think it's a, a, this, you know, this idea of being around people. If I, if I consider even the influence, I drive into your driveway and I see your garden, something I've always wanted to do and we just decided to do, but I'm even more inspired to do that now. Why? Because you've done it and it looks great. You're, you're an example of what you're doing. You're walking your talk. And the more we live around people and spend time with people, uh, that are, that have that extra layer of consciousness and that extra layer of um, intention, then the more that forces us to live with that same intentionality. So there's my three things for today. Uh, that's a beautiful list. And now where can people go to find out more about WildFit? Getwildfit.com. Awesome. If you guys liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to getwildfit.com and check out Eric's writing. There's a lot of cool stuff about evolutionary biology and how it fits into food. Uh, and as you've listened to this episode, you've heard lots of cool stuff where there's a lot of, of common thinking here around what works and what doesn't work. And he's got some really cool stuff around the psychology of food that's really worth looking into. Like, like what do you do before you decide what to eat, which is, I think, a powerful thing. And Eric, I've got to say, uh, you just tried Bulletproof Coffee, the first coffee you've had in 25 years. I'm truly honored that you had enough trust to give it a try. And I want you to, to send me an email later tonight and tell me how you're doing because uh, you're a slow caffeine metabolizer. So let's, uh, let's yeah, see how you're doing. I'll tell you what. Yeah, if, thank if, you for your trust. If I'm still awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm not emailing you. I'm calling you. That's right. My, my phone will be in airplane mode. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> well, thanks very much for having me. It's been a real, uh, it's re been a real treat to, to get to know you a little here and, and see the magic you're doing here. Thanks very much. Beautiful. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.